Mormons, by Mormons, the Mormons. Lots of talking, but never ever gets boring. Rounding up the humorous stuff in the news about Mormons. Can't wait to see which one will they choose. All right, everybody, welcome to This Week in Mormons. It's me, Jeff Openshaw, your founder. I just played with a new toy, a sound pad. I hope it worked fine. If it didn't, you heard silence for 20 seconds. Either way. <laughs> While we were bebopping our heads. Back dancing. I mean, for the lip syncers among you, you might have seen the words that well, I was I was singing along to our classic, you know, Mormon. You know, you know the one, this one. This one right here, Jared. Assuming you know the here. one. Yeah. You know the one. Yeah, you know the one. Uh, anyway, welcome to the show, everybody. We're glad you're here this week so we can talk about all things Latter-day Saints and how they affect you. And we, uh, of course, appreciate your feedback and interest in what we're doing. We'd love to hear your comments on these episodes and what you think of the articles and the news we discuss. So shoot us an email, contact at thisweekinmormons.com, or comment on the post that will accompany this episode uh, on Facebook or Twitter, for example. You can find us at facebook.com slash thisweekinmormons or at the Real Twim on Twitter, a handle we should probably change, but I've been saying that for 11 years. That's what we are. I don't know if I've said this it's before, like, but it reminds me of, you know, back in like the late 80s, early 90s, there was that there was there were two Ghostbusters cartoons. The real there go- was like the <laughs> I remember, first I one that this. came out and it was terrible. It was a horrible cartoon. And then when they actually created a Ghostbusters cartoon that was based off of the the, the movie property. Yes. It was called the real Ghostbusters. So every time I see like that handle, the real twin, I'm like, yeah, it's like the real Ghostbusters. But the real Ghostbusters was the one where Slimer was their friend and Egon was a blonde with a massive curl. Yeah. It was sort like, of a pompadour tube thing. thing. Yeah. Her hair. Okay. And eventually like towards the end before it got canceled, they were calling it Slimer and the real Ghostbusters because they really wanted to capitalize on that community. It's night. always the supporting players. It's like how Urkel took over family matters right yeah it should have been called steve urkel and the winslows my wife a few weeks ago so we got into a very random discussion about if you remember you know his alter ego steve stefan urkel stefan urkel of course course. it was like the nutty professor thing yeah and so we were debating because i was like isn't stefan urkel just his alter ego and my wife danielle said yeah but i swear there's like an episode where like they're both in it and i'm like well i'm like i thought he was just an alter i thought this was a golem situation right i thought this was just an alter ego Turns out both are correct. We did some digging and Danielle decided to watch. The, she watched the last three episodes of the entire show for no, that's how she spent her evening. Um, Stefan Urkel was an alter ego and then some other mo- nonsense stuff happened and he actually created like a physical manifestation of it's him. It's like the end it was of like Superman 3 when he fights himself, you know. Or Superman 4 when he fights Nuclear Man on what right. looks like a Japanese monster movie. Who was more or less a clone of him because they created Nuclear Man from that hair that Lex Luthor stole from the museum. Jared, I think you're embarrassing yourself with your knowledge of Superman's 3 and 4. <laughs> Everyone knows it stops after 2 for the old ones. That's just Yeah, I mean, because then it skips right to Superman Returns with Brandon Routh. You know, Which they, also they, wasn't... That but they Superman pretend that been... 3 and 4 didn't happen. But yeah, and then that one, it's like, oh, you watch the first 10 minutes of the movie, fantastic. And then after that, it's like, you can stop now. That one wasn't very good. Obviously, Man of Steel wasn't great. Um, I don't really acknowledge the existence of that. Which movie. makes it's... me wonder, are you going to be watching Zack Snyder's Justice League? Are you going to be signing up for HBO Max for four Did you hours? hear that uh, it's being presented in 4-3 aspect ratio? I read that it wasn't. I don't know why. Because... Art? I don't know. I mean, is that I is, saw is, I saw a trailer for it and I was like, why is this clipped? Is this just someone else grabbed it and just messed uh-uh. with it so they wouldn't uh-uh. get it? Uh-uh. No, he, he made the decision or... to 
put it into four th- uh, four three. Like, and I don't, I, no, I mean, it's because he's be, a terrible director. That's the reason why. I mean, does he think it's going to be on IMAX and people are going to go to it anytime soon? That's the only justification. If you have a full scale actual IMAX screen, no, no, the thing then is, you could do it, that. He's a bad director and he makes terrible decisions. No, no, the word you're looking for is auteur. That is what. Isn't it auteur? I don't know. It's, I don't it's a know. French word. I don't speak that. The I don't. No, freedom fries. That's all I know. <laughs> hey, isn't that isn't that technically cancel culture? Like I wish that would have stuck. I wish freedom fries would have stuck around. I think anyway. that would have been hilarious if we'd still called them that even to this day. Just to, we just to, like how many people were actually calling it freedom fries? I don't know. I think I was on my mission when freedom fries really freedom happened. Toast. It happened in earnest. So yeah. freedom toast. <laughs> the funny thing is, in France, they just call French fries what fried potatoes? Isn't that what pommes frites? Pommes frites, yeah. Pommes frites would be same yeah, thing so. in Spanish. Papas fritas. You just yeah. fried potatoes. Yeah. yeah. Well, this has been engaging. I, I might check out the old Justice League if I'm feeling bored one day and want to watch, spend a whole week getting through four hours of movie. But That's the I other thing is four hours long. Like, I mean, I know you want to kind of correct the mistakes that you that he believes that uh, Joss Whedon made, but does that mean it has to be a four hour movie? This is Warner Brothers just saying, do your thing, man. We don't care. I don't know if I'll watch it because it is rated R, apparently. Oh, yeah. I think he added in a lot of F words. What I've read, um, so reviews came out today. There, I've heard there's two f words in it that are that's the the, descri- the review described it as quote hours apart <laughs> to remind you how long the film is <laughs> okay <laughs> hours apart and apparently there's violence of course but it's so like CGI cartoony it's like watching like it's like that rated R cut of the Hobbit Five Armies movie I don't know if you uh, saw the director's one of that it I just did looks not. like a, it, it's like play it looks like a it was hard enough to watch the regular one so I say this as somebody who loves like. Tolkien material like I just did not care for the Hobbit movies I did uh, go to the movies recently I did too I went because I kept on going to them because I kept on thinking well this one is where it'll get good I was it, it, it was sort of I, was, I guess I was practicing a sort of entertainment version of the sunk cost fallacy it was like I'm invested and I'm going to keep going because at some point this investment is going to pay off and it never did it never does especially not with the Hobbit movies Lord of the Rings trained us that it does pay off you stick around for all three and it just gets better and better but I'll tell you what would convince me to watch Zack Snyder's cut uh, is, you know how he had to digitally remove Henry Cavill's mustache because he was filming uh, the, that uh, Mission, Mission Impossible, Impossible movie at the time which was, in which he was contractually obligated to have a mustache yes. uh, because he was a spoiler he was a villain before you um, keep going, though, did you know that um, Warner actually offered to pay Paramount to delay production for like X number of weeks so he could shave the mustache and grow it back and like really? compensate them? If it would, that, so I mean, that would have cost say, millions. Say, of we'll dollars. delay the shooting, but we'll fr- we'll foot the bill for the delay of shooting. But they were like, like, no, no. we want to. Tom Cruise is like, no. Tom Cruise is the producer of those films too. He's like, sure, no, we want to make the movie. Well, anyway, I was saying like, if 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 they digitally re-added the mustache back in and digitally added mustaches in for like the rest of the Justice League members, I'd watch that. That'd be fun. I Wonder don't know. If, I don't even know if that uh, the bad bare lip is even in the Snyder Cut or not. I have no. You idea. think they just left the mustache alone for this? For I don't Snyder know what's cut? changed. I've only saw Justice League once, and that was all you needed to see it. And I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's. I think the very fact that this whole thing exists, even though everyone, yes, this is a Latter Day Saint podcast, but the fact that that move, this whole Snyder Cut thing exists, is a weird monument to the power of like fanboys and edge lords and all kinds of. It's it's bizarre that it's actually come about, but I guess that's where we're at in the streaming era today. We'll talk about toxic edge lords later on in this uh, podcast. So we don't have any Mike Lee stories this week. 
<laughs> no, we don't. What? But we no, have other true. other toxic aspects of ah yes, so we the, do. The, the fringes of the culture. And hopefully, been, uh, you know, I was a little worried going into this week after last week's episode. News seemed slowish in general. I was like, well, Jared's going to be on. We always have good banter. We're going to be fine no matter what. We could have three stories and we're going to be okay. Forty-five minutes of banter. Yeah. Which is for some how Twim used to be many years ago when I remember. Yeah. Yes. And it was insufferable to listen to Al and I talk for twenty five minutes about absolutely nothing. But um <laughs> things things happened and there's no point uh you know, not just just dancing around it, folks. In case you missed it, the big news that's really hit the Latter-day Saint community in the past week is a very specific one, but I think there's a lot of really raw emotions about this, and that is that the church announced it will be ending live endowment sessions in the Manti and Salt Lake, Utah temples. And also that's, that's one, that's the first hit as part of renovations. And also as part of their renovations have their historic murals inside these, these spaces. Remember these temples were built in the late 1800s. Okay. Have historic murals removed like portions of them preserved, but just removed, like just taken out. They're not, they did not get, um, they're not having, Art historians come in to remove them in fresco style and and keep, you know, put them in the church history museum someday so everyone can see it. We don't know the extent to which things will be removed, but they have not said in any way that they are actually trying to like keep all of them. But no, they are I taking mean, the, pictures. Yeah, what I read is taking pictures and then they said that there would be portions like that would be removed and preserved in a certain way. But like really, the, I mean, and, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it's funny because, you know, they keep using the word removed. But I, I think we should just kind of call it what it is. They are destroying the murals from these temples. They're, they're not. <laughs> oh, gosh. Is this what you're going to do now with your soundboard? <laughs> Sound Sorry, tab? here. Anyway. Continue, Jared. Okay. No, the sad music, yes. Uh, no, it's a destruction thing. You know, it's, I mean, and I don't, I mean, you know. I don't it's hard not to, to use think, that word. I agree. I know. And I don't, and please don't take this. I've seen conversations online where people have been like very upset about this. And then yeah. the, the immediate response of certain commenters is you must be anti-church and anti the brother. And tell, let me tell you, I am not, I am very pro temple. I am very pro, you know, leadership of the church. I'm pro the church. I am against the destruction of, and again, I don't want to, I, I don't want to like be hyperbolic here, but they are irreplaceable and in some ways priceless works of art. And we're just like, taking removing them and they're they won't exist anymore yeah and i just it's hard to like feel okay about that because it's not only artistic but also i do think that these murals are part of our spiritual heritage and like people like uh one of the things i was reading uh articles i was reading talked about how the a lot of the people who painted the salt lake murals um, actually were sent to paris to study art so that they could come back and and make the interior of these pioneer temple is beautiful and then the with the manti temple it's it's minerva teichert is involved and who was arguably a master artist and like i mean i don't know arguably i think she's considered a master artist and so like these are not just like oh you know some people who you know the, the type of people who sign up to clean the chapel on saturdays came in and painted some murals like these were people who sacrificed portions of their lives to gain an education and create beautiful works of art to make the temple a more sacred space. And I'm like, why? I just don't understand. I can't wrap my head around just not doing everything possible, sparing no expense to preserve every square inch of this that we possibly can. 
And I have different, it's funny because just last week, I think on this show, I think it was last week, I was talking about the Manti Temple and how I think it's my favorite temple in the whole church for a number of reasons. So let's back up a little bit and talk about the why for all of this. Because the reason they're not just removing murals because the murals are bad, though I admit, I think some of them might have some slightly outdated cultural depictions of things, but you know, and we're, we're in this, this era of that we're canceling everything, cancel the murals. No, but the issue here is that Live sessions are complicated. Now, Manti and Salt Lake can both only, until this point, can only offer sessions in English, okay? And live sessions take a lot of temple workers to do as well. Of course they do. When you put on the slideshow, you can have one officiator running basically the whole session. And let's be honest, a lot of these officiators are elderly and may have a hard time with memorization and standing up and delivering lines like that for an extended period of time. Exactly. It's onerous work. That's one part of it. It's hard for who are largely elderly temple workers. And it requires, I haven't done a live session for many, many years, but I mean, if you think about how many different voices and characters you hear or see in the video. There's a cast. There's a cast. All of them are represented in a live session. Individually. Which in many many ways adds also additional context, I think, based on some of the things we do in the temple, because you see a bit of a different process about how things, how things happen when the congregation is involved and, and this and that. Um, and that alone is cool. I love some of my favorite things about live sessions. I've only done maybe three or four of them, but I, I feel like I learned in a different way from doing. But they are hard to pull off. The other issue, of course, is capacity. And this is what the church is really zeroing in on. The problem is live sessions are only in English. And in Salt Lake's case, that means there's a temple right there in downtown Salt Lake City that's only offering sessions in English, where you have other languages in need, right? Um so that's understandable. That's, that's an issue. And also live sessions typically just take longer. And when it's a progressive style room set up, five rooms is normally normally the norm um, for a live session. You know, you have the creation room, then you move on to what the garden room, and then you have the what we basically call the telestial, terrestrial. and Or the world room, often it's called. Or, yeah. or the world room is in the case, especially in the Manti temple, it's very much called that. Um, and you move your way through. But that takes that takes longer. It does. Um, and accommodating people in that way. By getting rid of that, you can have a lot of sessions at once. I mean, our DC temple is a great example of that, Jared. You know, it's one of the few temples with the central celestial room. There's actually only a handful in the church that do that, Jordan River Provo. I do not know if renovated Ogden does that. Probably not, based on how they do things nowadays. And it has six ordinance rooms around it. So they can crank out a lot of sessions simultaneously as needed and and serve more members. Um, that's the whole reason behind all of this. They've looked at this and said, Salt Lake and Manti temples cannot serve enough saints and they can't do it in different languages. And obviously we have the endowment available in 80 plus languages at this stage. So, so that's an issue. I understand that, but I do say the flip side of it is twofold. One, I feel like if you look at it, like in, in Salt Lake, how many temples are popping up in Utah right now? Like how many temples are they building? And do they keep announcing for Utah if the issue is capacity, do you really mean, tell me they can't just like build a temple over on like the East Bench somewhere? They can't yeah. build a temple in Mount Olympus or just somewhere out in that neck of the woods to help. Obviously, a whole new temple is a massive, expensive undertaking. I get it. But that's a, it's just hard to swallow that when it's like, well, yeah, but there's a ton of temples popping up around Salt Lake. Right. Well, and then my second question. So let's So let's assume, though. That you know the answer is no, Jeff. We still, I mean, we've done the calculations and well, I'm sure, based and I'm on, sure they have. Yeah, and then and let's say they're saying no, we really need to use all of these five rooms as individual ordinance rooms. Like, and I, you know, I get that too. But then, why do you have to remove the murals? Like, 
can you not just have an ordinance room that looks like a garden room and, and that's a different ordinance room that looks like a world room and, you know, et cetera. Like, you know, I, I don't think you necessarily like, well, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's like, even though the, th- the theme will be off or whatever for one fifth of the cer- or one fourth of the ceremony or whatever, um, just leave it up. It's a beautiful artwork. It makes it makes the room pleasant to be in. It's a again an homage to our spiritual heritage and to the people who created those artworks. And so it's like, why do we have to take it down? So another thing that they said is that you know they're doing work. One of the big reasons for the renovations in the Salt Lake Temple is to make it like beyond code for like withstanding earthquakes and things yeah. like that. And so that was another thing that they said in the church newsroom announcement, or sorry, the newsroom announcement uh, that. Um, the that they were they're tra- because of the the things that they're doing to reinforce and such that those walls wouldn't necessarily be able to be preserved and it, and so and again I was like okay if that is the case if those walls are being removed anyway or rebuilt why not remove them like you know and again like I know that would be expensive and difficult but yeah we've I've you and I have both seen buildings that have been like removed brick by brick and reconstructed on the other side of an ocean like. Yeah. Surely there is the technology and the know-how in the art preservation world to remove, even if it has to be done section by section, like remove a wall and reconstruct it in a museum somewhere. Like I just don't get, I mean, what I, what it comes down to, to me, it seems like the bottom line is this would cost a lot of money, but think about it. Like, like the reason we built a Nauvoo temple is because a private citizen a private member came up and said, Hey, I'm going to foot the bill for this Nauvoo temple. The reason why we have the printer's manuscript of the book of Mormon. Is that what happened with the new one? I didn't know that. Oh yeah. No, there wouldn't be a Nauvoo temple. The church had zero plans to rebuild it, but a private member said, I'm very much interested in like restoring this building. And once they announced it, tons of individual members started like also donating. Of course. Yeah. But then, but yeah, same thing. The reason why we have the printer's manuscript of the book of Mormon is because a private member footed the bill to pay, you know, for it, uh, you know, to buy it. And so I'm sure if the church said, you know, it just kind of put it out there in their, you know, low level channels, Hey, we really want to preserve the Manti and Salt Lake artworks, but it's like way too much money for us to justify spending. I can't, I can't believe that some private member or a group of members wouldn't come forward and just say, we will pay whatever it takes to preserve these things. I mean, so yeah, it's just, it's just, I don't understand it. I agree with that too. The funny thing is as well, in 2019, when they were announcing some of the changes to the Salt Lake Temple before it closed up for the renovation, I mean, the church was on the record. The actual director of historic renovations for the church said the interiors would be like, you know, spruced up, but remain unchanged. The murals would stay and a live endowment would continue. This was what the church publicly stated when revealing the plans. And if you even look up even on one of our own articles, Salt Lake Temple Renovation, they'll show renderings of how it's going to look when it's all done. And the rooms are, the instruction rooms are very clearly live instruction rooms as they've been without a video component involved. And so somewhere along the line here, they've decided to, uh, you know, change direction a little bit. And we don't exactly know why. I don't know what was not evident then that's evident now, for example. Uh, you know, unless... And I'm with you. I don't get it either. And even like if you, I, some reason you can't preserve the murals, I could understand that if you have to reconfigure the room to accommodate a video projector. In many of these rooms, there's, for example, there's a big door, there's a doorway that goes to the next room in front of you, for example. And that, like a lot of that area have to be cleared out, both the door and the mural, just for, to have a screen sure. or a wall upon which to project. So some elements of that 
I completely understand. The way the rooms are designed it could can be an issue for uh, for video. I mean, Manti's especially that way. And most of them, I, I've been to Manti since college. And Manti's super cool because you go up a little bit room to room, which I think might also be an absolute mess for like people in wheelchairs and things like that. I don't know how they... In Salt Lake, there's an yeah. elevator. You're well, in two that, rooms I mean, that's and then an you go upstairs. Too. And I've seen people discussing online the issue of accessibility in temples in general, but especially yeah. in these older temples. Like that, I mean, that, I mean, uh, you know, and, and obviously all are alike under God and he turneth no one away, right? He doesn't turn anyone away. So if that's the case, we do need to make these accessible. And I believe in that. But I just don't, like I said, I just, what I keep coming back to is, okay, I get it. Like we, I, I understand that there's a justification for just like for removing these, but I don't understand the justification for not preserving, preserving them. them. One thing, uh, and I haven't seen this discussion online because, you know, and, and I get also the reasoning behind removing the live endowment, but I think there is a loss because there's like, again, there, I don't know. There's so, some cultural cachet for sure. Like for, for preserving the, the, you know, the practice of a, of a live endowment. And also I, you know, I've only done one twice um, and they were years apart from each other, but I remember feeling like, Oh, you get a different perspective. You get some different insights when you see it being acted out. And also, you know, these people are, I mean, are sort of actors and actors always bring their own interpretation to words. They emphasize, emphasize and things like that. So I think that's kind of nice to have that. Um, so if, if the issue is we want to just get more people through the temple, you know, and, and and Manti isn't a high traffic temple, I don't think, but Salt Lake certainly is. Uh, why not? This yeah, is my proposal. Yeah, of course. And if if we have any brethren listening, we probably don't. Um, let's uh, bring the live endowment to Nabu because there's no way that's a high traffic temple. Maybe during tourist season, but yeah. it is a temple where they when they when they built it. I I did a session in Nabu once, and it's all the film, but you do progress from room to room. It would be very easy to convert Nabu the into full a, five. Uh, yeah, I believe so because they wanted to recreate the way it was done. You know, they wanted to create the rooms. I mean, it, it's it's definitely not. I mean, we don't know the full layout of the interior uh, or how it was direct decorated and things like that. But as far as I understand, yeah, it's, so you know, you move room to room, and I would love for them to say like, okay, well, let's uh, make Navu the live endowment temple, or even if it wasn't like all the time because it's set up for film already, you could say like five sessions a week, we do a live endowment in Nauvoo. Because I just think there is interest and a, and a benefit to preserving that that practice, at least on a small, small scale. Yeah. It, it's a part of our cultural heritage. And it's absolutely true that doing the work for the dead doesn't have greater value in one of these temples over another, right? And the covenants you make in the temple are the same in any temple you go to. I did note that uh, there are some remarks from uh, leaders in the church, not leaders like the 12, but people who work in the temple department, managing directors and these sorts of folks who've described like the St. George, for example, as one of the quote premier temples of the church. So there's clearly, there's a mentality that there's a certain, there is a specialness to these temples and you were trying to treat them like they're, they don't need to be special anymore. They should just function like all the other ones. Um, and you did mention Manti, for example, it has like 22, 23 stakes feeding into it. Some of those are, are YSA stakes. Most of central Utah, I think it stays busy, but at the same time, I think you're right. It's not moving at the clip of Salt Lake. Right. And additionally, if there's pressure about um, foreign languages, for example, I read the Manti Temple basically, it's just there's no demand for like a Spanish session in Manti. If there is, it's minimal. It might be there. And if that is the case, like if you've got members living in like random, I don't know, a bunch of members in Huntington, Utah. And their closest temple by far is Manti. It's like Manti or Vernal. I mean, where else are they going to go? Right. 
and they want a Spanish session, sure, you want to accommodate them. I completely get that. But uh, Manti is a bit of a different case, I think, from Salt Lake in that sense, because it's a much more rural temple. I don't think it's as, it's slammed. I don't think the language needs are as prevalent there. Um, and it is going to require a lot more work, which is what really scares me. Because I mentioned just the slight up between every single room. Because Salt Lake, you're in two floors, two rooms at the same level. Then you just go upstairs. So you could take an elevator if you needed to, right between them. Manti, that's just basically impossible. I don't know how they would even accommodate that at all. Um, so I'm I'm very fearful that they're going to roy- they're going to turn it into a shell like the Logan Temple, which really is a shell. They gutted Logan completely in the 70s. And rebuilt it on the inside, so nothing matches up from what it was uh, right. once before in Logan. And uh, and if any temple needs rehabilitation, it's Logan. <laughs> I think at this stage, Logan Temple is a uh, a special place. It's interesting. Have you been to the Logan Temple? I went there once. Uh, I went to a ceiling shocking. there once. I, so I've never done like a full session, but I did go to a ceiling, and I remember. I mean, at least the outside, I remember thinking, oh, this is a gorgeous temple. I thought it was beautiful. Yeah, the outside's cool. But did you know inside? I don't remember feeling any. Noting, I, I, nothing stands out to me of, of anything that I thought about the inside of it. So, yeah, the windows are painted black. Oh, because the temple is actually such a shell. There are many parts when you're not even looking out. There are no windows. The celestial room has no windows, for example. Um, so they've actually painted over the windows in some parts because they're not. They could they could fix that. Is that what the Rolling Stones were singing about? The windows in the, the sure in the Logan Temple probably painted black. Either that or it was the fake windows in the Manhattan Temple. Might be that one too. Which I oh, yeah. that is one of my favorite tricks. If you ever go there, folks, it's a building within a building for sound deadening purposes. And so you're in rooms because the church they know natural light. I think is inspiring. I think that works well in temples nowadays. But if you're in the celestial room and you're seeing that daylight pouring in, that is those are just lights around a fake window on a fake wall, which I think is hilarious, but it, you it. can't even tell. It's great. Yeah. So I'm with you. Why can't we preserve this? I don't know. I don't know. And it's weird to be going to this. Like they're taking, um, they're making St. George more pioneerish with its renovation because St. George was normalized at one point yeah. and they're kind of making it look classier, but they're sort of doing the opposite. I don't know. I like your idea though for the uh, temples that can accommodate it. Let's offer a live session sometimes. They could do that in Los Angeles even if they want to. The LA Temple distilled, unless they've changed it, it's been a long time for me, has uh, five rooms and you move room to room with the film. When I first went through to receive my endowment, they were not doing that where they would do the entire session in one of the rooms before you'd go uh, to the veil. But it has all the, this is from the 50s instead, but it has the original murals like in the garden room. Right. And we're in this, and those rooms are enormous. If you've ever been to the LA Temple, they're the biggest uh, ordinance rooms in the church. Uh, again, I've never done a session there. I've just been to ceilings there. So it has, yeah, the ordinance rooms there for the sessions hold like 300 plus people a pop. They're, they're humongous. Um, but it's not a problem to watch the movie. I mean, I also, uh, I think the Cardston Temple progresses through five rooms, even though there's a movie. And I did a session there once. And because of somebody, I think, who had accessibility needs, they did the entire session in the terrestrial room. Hmm. They just threw us in there and you see where the veil should be. And they actually had an in the woodwork, a TV rose from within all of the woodwork and stuff like that, which you would never know is there. You'd assume it's just kind of the wraparound for the stairs that go up and stuff. And just this like, you know, 80 inch TV pops up and that's how they did the whole thing. And they the only it. time I, I've seen something like that, the only time I've seen something like that was for uh, a session where they had a hearing impaired member. And for whatever reason, instead of putting like subtitles up on the big screen or like a super title thing, <clears throat> there was a second screen that came up that had 
Oh, I think I've AS- seen that before. Too. I don't remember if it had titles or if it actually had an ASL interpreter. I don't think it was an ASL interpreter, but like there was a second screen that came up that had like the sub, like whatever the presentation for the hearing impaired person. It was separate from the big screen, and it, yeah, it like came up out of nowhere. And I was like, "Whoa, where, where did that? Where, where was that screen?" Kind of cool. See, we could do so many things at the temple. Surely we could do we and could folks remove and preserve walls of murals. Now, if real quick before we get off of this, if there, if you want to go to the website, there's a couple articles we haven't mentioned specifically, but the Deseret News actually interviewed residents of the Manti Temple District to kind of get their feedback, which I think was they're very proud of their temple there, and I think yeah. there's a, there are mixed emotions for sure. Uh, and likewise, this article um, over at thearchhive.net about essentially saying the end of live endowments, the church is selling its birthright for a mess of pottage. So you can imagine the tone of that one. But we'll link to both of them. Interesting reads, not making any judgment. Calls but in a little, well, in a little bit of context for, I, uh, I don't, I actually know him. I have one friend who is a member of the archive. And so he knows these people. And uh, he like, so this, this, the woman who wrote that article, she is uh, a very talented, very uh, skilled visual artist. And so she's coming at it from the perspective of somebody who really values art and really connects it in, in her life. Art is inseparable from her spirituality. Like a lot of the way she experiences uh, her religion is through visual art. And so it's, it's a very personal thing. So I've seen some people critical of her article because they think she's being just overly critical of the church. And I, and I, I didn't get that because like I said, I, I see her coming at it as like an artist who's saying, who's mourning the loss of something that is very spiritual and important to her spiritual life. So. So everyone, if you want to call call the church public affairs office and ask them what Jared was saying, why couldn't they at least be preserved? That's the only answer we're looking for. Don't tell them, you know, Jared told me to ask this question. Like You, you ask it yourself. No, when you call church public affairs, they ask you which publication you're with. So it's up to you guys to decide what that is. You could all say this week in Mormons and then they'll think we're some kind of huge deal. Um but or that they'll, they'll or they'll they'll put you on a they'll they'll target you and start watching. They don't target you, but if they don't want to talk to you right away, they'll say we'll get back to you. And if you're not important enough, they don't get back to you. So call and say you are uh, Robert Kirby coming out of retirement. <laughs> Please <laughs> don't. Let's let him stay retired. <laughs> so let's switch gears and go a little lighter and and have a little right. celebration. Maybe right. I mean small celebration, real quickly. This is just a um, the the. What was the publication? I love, there's all these, I I live in Idaho now, as many of you know. And a lot of these, there's like a ton of like small newspapers in Idaho still, which I think is great. Okay. The Idaho State Journal. I don't think it's necessarily a small, but to me, it's like, you know, it's one of like 10 like regional newspapers in in Idaho where the small press still is alive. Anyway, uh, the headline, Angel Moroni statue placed on Pocatello Temple. And I love that there was a whole headline just for that. And they've got some great shots of the crane lowering uh, the Angel Moroni down. I actually almost went and saw this. My in-laws uh, came over for dinner last night. Uh, it was our first time hosting somebody for dinner in our new home. And Very the plan nice. originally, they came over for dinner around five because the idea originally was we were going to have an early dinner and then drive down to Pocatello so that we could see the newly placed Moroni. But we ended up scrapping that plan, and I'm not sure why, but it is exciting for the local members. Not the least, uh, not not the least reason for it. it that's the ter- I edit that out, Jeff. Uh, me stumbling over my words there. I don't do that. This is real. This is wrong. Dang it. Okay, so what I'm trying to say is one of the reasons that uh, we should be kind of interested in this is that a lot most 
if not all of the new designs we're seeing come out for, t- for these newer temples don't feature a Moroni. So Pocatello could be among the last of the current modern age of temples to have a Moroni on top of the steeple. So it's kind of fun and exciting to see that. Yeah, it might be that or Saratoga Springs. Oh, true. They'll probably because the, ba- the Bangkok Temple actually had its design revised to remove the Moroni, which is a uh, a rarity. Which makes me realize we got to have our temple predictions up here pretty soon. We're we're only three weeks out from conference. So, uh, and just so you know, the Idaho State Journal is owned by Adams Publishing Group, based in Greenville, Tennessee. Oh, so not necessarily small town, but still, like. There are like what I was like trying to figure out like where am I going to get my Idaho local news and I was like there are so many little newspapers or or, or larger newspapers to choose from and it's kind of nice it's kind of nice to have a diversity of uh, publications here in in eastern Idaho. Yeah, I'm going to swing now, um, my good friend, to a, another a sad news. No, not sad news. Where's the one I got? I don't like it. That's not the one I wanted. Where's the stare? There. I was say that wasn't sad. That wasn't sad, unless you think that. Anyways, uh, unfortunately, a mission president, a Filipino mission president serving in the Philippines, passed away unexpectedly. Uh, the church has not necessarily disclosed the exact reason for his death, although they suspect it was a heart attack. This was President Giovanni Pelin Pengen. Uh, he was serving in the Philippines. Don't butcher me, all you Filipino people, but the Iloilo mission. Uh, and he passed away abruptly. He was, uh, he was only 48 years old. He's originally from the Legazpi area in the southern portion of the island of Luzon. So that's sad. This doesn't happen very often. I mean, I remember we reported years ago when a temple president died abruptly. It's actually... And we don't really know how or why, right? I mean, no, generally, the church- they, they, you know, they choose people who are in pretty good health, you know, to and, you know, who aren't extremely old. Like, you know, mission presidents, I think, are sort of the younger branch of church leadership at large. And so it's yeah. really surprising when somebody dies suddenly like this. Yeah. So it's, uh, I mean, the, uh, the church, Sam Penrod, a spokesman for the church said they believed it was a heart attack, but that's all we know. And unfortunately you can't always predict those. So I can't, I just can't imagine what that's like. I mean, obviously for his family and his loved ones, but, but imagine being a missionary too. And then you get word that your mission president has just suddenly passed away. I can't imagine what it's like to go through that. That's just, that would, no, that would be a major morale hit, even though you're there doing the Lord's work and your mission president is just one person trying to organize it and keep it going. I, I just, you know, I think about either of my, that happening to either of mine and what a, what a blow that would be to everybody. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, and I don't know, not everybody always has a good experience. You know, like mission presidents are, are kind of the same with Bishop. You, you kind of spin a roulette wheel and sometimes you have a one that you connect with and sometimes you have one that you don't, but I, yeah, I loved my mission president. I can't imagine how I would have felt if he had died in the middle of my mission. Like, oh. I don't think there's many missionaries who'd be okay with it. No, I don't. I mean, I'm, I'm not no. suggesting that missionaries would be okay with it. I'm just saying that, like, I think most, I think a lot of missionaries, and not, not. I was just trying to acknowledge, not all missionaries have a good close personal connection with their mission yes. president. But um, sorry, I didn't mean to say that there. The, the other group would be like, "Oh boy, my mission president died." No, nothing like that. I'm this is what I do. That. I'm part of the. I'm part of the liberal media. I take your words and twist them. You're like uh, the people um, interviewing Alma and Amulek. You're, you're trying to take my word and twist them and use them against me. You're you're a That's modern me. day Zeezrom. That's me. Hey, he repented and became a powerful ally. Well, I will. I'll wait for that news to come out of uh, out of your home, Jeff. Jeff's repented and became a powerful ally of, <laughs> of the church. <laughs> We're all waiting for that, Jeff. 
So let's go, let's pivot a little more. And I'm going to just say tangentially, this is connected that there, uh, this is a really interesting headline. And I think a lot of people find this interesting. The, the Trib uh, reported this. This is our, from our good friend, Peggy Fletcher Stack. She wrote mm. an article with the headline, New Leadership Roles to Expand Women's Influence in the LDS Church. And what's interesting is that this is uh, happening right now only in Europe. Uh, but in the Europe area, I think, is that what we call it? Is it the Europe area? Um, yeah, they used to have three. Now it's just the one. Right. It's uh, They've created new roles for women, and they are calling them uh, – hang on, there's a great – Oh, they are called International Area Organization Advisors, which is a super interesting and long title. Uh, and then according to the article, it says that they will mentor congregational officers and participate in leadership councils of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the region. Uh, and it says they will give instruction to church leaders and provide women's perspectives at all levels of councils. And all of those things sound really good to me, but I, but as I read through the article, I kept on looking for more like detail about it. But the, what does that mean? Like, what are they doing? Like, what is what happens when you know their boots hit the ground and they show up at these meetings, or you know, or what what happens when they're not at meetings? And I couldn't really tell like exactly what what this means that they do. But I think it's good. Like, I think any time we see expanded roles for women in leadership in the church outside of I'm a primary president or at least society president, in the, you know ward level, stake level, et cetera. Uh, I think this is good. I like, I, and I think it's nice to see that we're saying like, oh no, women's voices are essential in the con- conducting this work yeah. and let's give them more positions where their voices are heard and where they have a say. But again, again, I would be interested to see uh, in practically speaking, what does this mean? What are they actually doing day to day and what effect will it have? In yeah. the long What are you actually doing? What are you doing, women in no, Europe? Sorry, there I go again. Zia's roaming on you. Um, I I agree. I I love this. I am curious what it means. I guess Europe's like the pilot for this because I don't see why they can't do it anywhere else. Or maybe this is a desperation move in Europe because the church they, they isn't still going have enough anywhere. leadership. Yeah, the church isn't going anywhere. Like like you said, there was the Europe area when I was a missionary there. There were three. There was Europe West, Europe Central, Europe East, and they've just slowly consolidated them. It's a sad. Sad, sad time for all involved. So I think this is terrific. Let's I am all about let's let women's voices be heard because I value their insights quite a bit. Um and it's just it's it's easy to mow them over. I think that we've done a much better job in the past handful of years trying to improve ourselves culturally and administratively and involving women in that capacity, but obviously more is good. And I think everyone should should take that opportunity seriously. Agreed. Well, um, this was some of my favorite news of the last week. I was only mad because the trip beat me to the punch on writing something about it because I found out about it on my own. I'll have you know. What am I talking about? President Elder, Elder Uchtdorf, because you know he did this because he was demoted and he was angry. <laughs> demoted. Was, was yeah. uh, according to, uh, you know, you know, political contributions are public record. And if you dig up political for good contribution, reason, right. for they should be absolutely. If you dig up political contributions over the past few years, you'll find one Dieter Uchtdorf, who lives in Utah, who who is described as I believe not working or retired, something like that, a, yeah. according to the filing, uh, contributed money to a bevy of Democrats during the past campaigns. You're talking uh, he he contributed to Biden Harris, and then contributed money to both John uh, Ossoff and the reverend in uh, the Georgian elections. Yep. 
plenty of i think the grand total is somewhere only over what about two thousand ish dollars something along those lines i believe but, but you know that's that's money so the first thing i saw were these filings and i was like and you're just like dieter you now you might not think this is a big deal for one of course i love the classic headline you can't be a good a, a good mormon and be a democrat here you are apostle doing this um at the same time political contributions are verboten for general authorities this right, because this, of the this, political neutrality stance of the church because and, but it's only been that way since 2011 president monson instituted this uh it's i don't remember i don't remember if the reason but i remember there was some story that i've tried to dig up the particulars about it was sometime around that in 2010 or 2011 it was elder w craig zwick of the 70 got in trouble for using his uh, at lds.org email, his, his church email account for like soliciting donations or causes or whatever it might be. But he was he was using the wrong. Uh, it's the equivalent of, you know, the, well, the old ward list says for church use only, right? Not right. for something else. So he got in some trouble for that. I don't remember if the new rule came as an, directly from that incident. But since then, they have not been allowed to do so. Now, in 2016, D. Todd Christofferson got in a little bit of trouble because he donated $250 to a friend's campaign for a school board race. And it was a nonpartisan race. And he just thought, like, I was just doing a thing to, like, help my buddy. Um, but people found out and he apologized. I do think that was a very minor boo-boo. Now, if Elder Uchtdorf himself was violating this policy, and for fun, I looked up if any of the other 12 had donated anything, and I couldn't find anything from my my research. Uh, that's a pretty interesting statement. However, according to Elder Uchtdorf, who released a statement on the matter, they said this was an oversight on his part where he actually has a a shared online account that's shared by their family, but it's associated in his name. So he's basically saying, I didn't do this. My family shares a political donation account. Because because we share things like that, like we share Netflix passwords. So and they and they made donations in his name, and he said this was an oversight on my part. People in my family donated to these campaigns, but it happened in my name. So is Harriet Uchtdorf as a wife of an apostle? Is she also uh, forbidden from do- making political donations? Yes, the spouses are also forbidden from doing so. So it, so so when he says family, he's not he's not pushing it off onto his wife. He, so, so yes, supposedly how far, one of his how children. How far did the conspiracy go, Jared? That's what yeah. I want so to... my second cousin used my political donation account and uh, <laughs> made an off. I don't know. It, yeah, it is super interesting. But I do think, like you said, I mean, to me, sort of the the real meat of this matter is that I, I think this should take some of the wind out of the sails of the people who are still clinging to that Ezra Taft Benson mentality about you know Democrats are somehow not compatible with being good church members. And it's like, well, apparently an apostle doesn't feel that way. So, well, but, but like I said, apparently he's trying to say, I'm not the one who even did it. It was my family members. And he says he fully supports the the church's stance on neutrality for its leadership. I want to believe him, but I also can't help but wonder if this is just a nice way to sort of try to, uh, right. Kind of talk. I saw somebody post on Twitter, like an abbreviated version of that, you know, that quote that, you know, it was yeah. me, it was a member of my family. And underneath it, it has that Catherine Hahn from WandaVision meme where she's doing a nice big oh, wink. Oh yeah, doing, doing the big wink. Yeah. yeah so, so it's like, yeah. You ha- <laughs> the funny thing is the trib actually bothered to look into whether anything was illegal in this case, which I don't think we would assume it is, but they spoke to uh, Matthew Sanderson, an election law attorney in Washington. And he said like, these would, these would not be illegal unless the donor was trying to hide their identity, which is obviously not the case. 
This is also a small, comparatively small amount of donations. But he does mention that shared family accounts for donations has become more commonplace in the era of small online political donations, which is interesting to me. I didn't think that was much of a thing. So I'm glad to be educated about this. I just assume if you're going to donate to a campaign or to um, Think Blue, whatever, I forgot what the name of the Democratic right. you know, fundraising one is, Act Blue. Um you think you just do it on your own. I don't know what value there is. I'm like, hey, do you have the login for the campaign donation thing, dad? And like, it's one thing to use like one credit card. If you say everyone, you can do this and however you want here, I'm happy to foot the bill. But um, I don't know. I think it's interesting. Well, Jeff, maybe you and I should open our own joint uh, political contribution account and we can, you know, open it to the entire Twim family and, um, you know, everybody can just donate how they want. Half of the Twim family hates me, Jared. They're never going to do this. Half of them hate you. Is this a story we need to go into? Or is this for another week? No, I just think you know. I mean, it's just, just, it's just, just simple numbers, right? There's two of us. Half of them have to like you. Half of them have to not like me. I just think that's how this works. <laughs> I see. I think everyone tunes in for the other people, not for the open shot. I'm okay with it. Just glad to bring you good people, everybody. Thanks for being here. By the way, be a patron on Patreon. Good for you. <laughs> see. We don't need a political contribution account. We have Patreon. Just that's just donate I, I to go, us. I want, I want to get up to like like fifty patrons. Come on, folks, let's do this. We're close. Yeah, let's do dollar, this. Dollar a month. That's all you need. Help us. Help us. Um, can we just grouse just for thirty seconds? Then we'll grouse and then we'll move on. Uh, if you mean the bird, yes, we may grouse. No, I want to like the verb to grouse. I would like to be a grouse, sage grouse. Continue grouse. All right. So the the church newsroom, oh, sorry, the newsroom uh, released an article about no, um, no 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 this is not the newsroom this is the church news remember oh this is the church news remember it's church news okay the church news there's just it, it still kills me right there's so much hubris involved in some of our online identities but whatever right. like, anyway so the church news the church news whatever uh, their headline that they released was President Oaks and Elder Christofferson um, offer a Spanish Young adults, uh, ah, I'm not doing it right. They encourage Spanish young adults to increase faith. Right. Encourage Spanish young adults to increase faith. Uh, And the problem is that this fireside or whatever that they they put on was not for members of the church in Spain. Those would be Spanish young adults, right? Not exclusively. They were part of it, but yes. But but I'm just saying it wasn't just a broadcast for members of the church in Spain only. Uh, It was for Spanish speaking adult or young adults throughout the world. So that would be as, as an editor, I believe the correct word choice there would be Hispanic, meaning people who know and speak Spanish as you know their native language, because this was for Latin America as well. It was not just an Iberian peninsula <laughs> fireside. So uh, since Jeff brought this up on the twin page, I'm assuming that's what caused the church news to correct their error. The, if you click through to the link uh, to the page, it now says Spanish-speaking young adults. Um, I'm sure this is all corrected by Jeff. But please, words matter, people. Spanish <laughs> refers to the people of Spain or the language. But when you say Spanish young adults, that means young adults who live in Spain. If you want to talk about and- hispanohablantes, people who speak Spanish, it is Spanish-speaking or Hispanic. I think growing up in, in Southern California, I was probably not sensitive to this sort of thing. I probably offhandedly said, yeah, you know, like Spanish people everywhere, whatever, you know, stuff like that. But serving a mission in Spain has forever changed the way I address this issue. And that's absolutely, of course, why this headline jumps out at me, because it's just like, 
yes, I see this all the time. And I'm like, no, man, there's not like, they're not, it's not visiting Spanish saints. And a good analog would be, I don't think you would ever see this if they were meeting with Brazilian and Portuguese members for at the same time. Right. They would they never say, say Portuguese saints. Portuguese yeah, they would never say adults. Portuguese saints. So why do we do it with Spanish? I don't know. And I know the difference between Portuguese Spanish and Brazilian Spanish is much, much wider than that of Iberian Spanish and Did a lot of black Portuguese American Spanish people. and Brazilian Spanish? Do you mean Portuguese? Portuguese. Portuguese. <laughs> I will now follow Portuguese. Okay. Um, I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. They're a lot, yeah, they're yeah. A lot more, dis- those two are no, more it's distinct. If you yeah. like, you know, if you ever, you know, do the overdubbing in like, you know, from a, a Blu-ray or DVD or whatever digital movie, they often have two different those two. language tracks yes. for the spoken. You know, if you're listening the overdub, there's a different track for Portuguese. Portuguese, Portuguese from Portugal versus Brazilian Portuguese because they yep. sound that much different from each other. And they use a lot. Of, it's, I mean, it's, I, I don't know the exact differences, but I imagine it's a lot, it's as distinct as like Quebec and uh, French versus right. continental French. There's differences. Absolutely. That's another reason I love Disney Plus. You mentioned WandaVision. If you watch the ridiculously long credits every Disney Plus production has for, you know, I don't know why they all have like five, six minutes of credits. It's really long. But they, they list the language dubbers. That's why. And they offer. Portuguese, Portuguese, Brazilian, Portuguese. They offer a Castilian Spanish track and a Latin American Spanish track. Oh, because you want to hear that theta. Yeah. Everyone should want to hear the theta, Jared. Everyone. Mm-hmm. Everyone should. Well, I'm glad they fixed this headline. I'm just glad to help them along their way. I I trust they will be contacting me shortly and thanking me for Credit goes everything. to you, Jeff. All credit being to me. This seems like it's... I feel like this is getting kind of close to the war in heaven sort of situation. I'm no, not looking like, for all the glory. I was starting to hear a song from uh, My Turn on Earth was was spinning up in my head. So <laughs> That's how old I am, people. I still have songs from My Turn on Earth going in my head. All right. So now I'm going to talk about that one that I accidentally thought was going to be a sad story earlier, but it's a totally fine story. So President Russell M. Nelson, the president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and two others. I like that that's the headline. LDS President Russell M. Nelson, two other people to get honorary degrees from University of Utah. Um, so, you know, he's the church president, of course. They're going to give him honor an honorary doctorate degree because his MD and PhD are not enough. He needs the honorary doctorate. Uh, but joining Nelson and getting the degrees from the UR education advocate, C. Hope Eccles, and the father of biotechnology, William J. Rudder. These people are like big time afterthoughts in this article, even though they do get a profile deeper down, which is great. I'm glad that they're all getting their due. Uh, the main thing that I just wonder about, like an honorary degree, like is it in anything? Is it, I mean, is this general studies? Jared, what do you get the honorary PhD in? I don't know. I mean, I've been to a few like um, commencement ceremonies at you know universities where they bestow these honorary degrees, and I don't think they ever say an honorary doctorate of blank. I think they just say I'm bestowing, and they give reasons why they're giving an honorary doctorate. Yeah, and, course, and the article talks about that. You know, contributions to the field of blank or inspiring people to blank or what you know. Like, there's always, a, uh, but they never say because you. Uh, you know, inspired people and, and were a leader in the field of education and increasing the reach of education. This is an honorary doctorate in education. They don't say that, I don't think. I think they just say it's an honorary doctorate. And I think it's just so, sort of like getting a medal. You know, it's just like, here's your medal. Yeah. Here's your honorary medal, not medal of valor or medal of, you know, whatever. <laughs> so I want it know. to be in something. It should be in family life. 
That's what yeah. I wanted them to do. Yeah, uh, marriage, family, and human development. Yes. MFHD, here's your MFHD doctorate. That's all BYU gives out. Is that their only doctorate? No, I'm just kidding. It should be. <laughs> I don't think there, there's, uh, other, I know there's a master's in MFHD uh, or, or an equivalent. I don't know if they still call it that, but there's a master's program. Because, you know, and generally, it's for people who are going into like counseling and things like that. Yeah, uh, that's useful. But I don't think there's a PhD level for that one. Another, another quick mention, folks. President Nelson has provided leadership exactly 22 times during the pandemic. That's according to the Deseret News. 22 times. President Nelson provided leadership. Um, it's just a nice list to remember all the nice things he's done and the things we've been up to in the past year. During yeah, this. it was a nice article, sort of just a little inspirational of like, here's some really notable, 22, no, I would call it 22 notable moments. In his That's leadership. not what Ted Walsh said. He just said 22 times. He did not qualify them, Jared. That's all there's been. I refuse to accept the premise. I, but I swear there was a twenty third. I can't. I can't name it like right now. But uh, that one's going to be coming during general conference. I Just see. wait. We'll update the article. So that's it's a nice list. It's good to review stuff. Remember, like the global fasts we had. Remember or that nice little video open? that he made for us. You know, when he gave us an apostolic blessing or not like a prophetic blessing, like. That was my favorite, probably. And then there's the give thanks stuff. Like, yeah, they just revisit a lot of just like highlights of the last year in which uh, President Nelson gave us some nice inspiration and leadership. So, good good job, Tad. No complaints. Nope. Uh, Another, just really quickly, there was an interesting. uh, So, this is from the newsroom. Uh, It's about Elder Holland. Uh, There was a, they're, they're basically. Uh, quoting and reporting on a devotional that Elder Holland gave. And and the quote, the takeaway quote that they made into the headline was, don't take Institute, let Institute Institute take you closer to God. Which is very, you know, we love Elder Holland partly for his clever wordplay. So um, good on you, Elder Holland. (laughs) To me, what's more interesting to me than, you know, the, the little, the campy appeal uh, is that I think this kind of addresses a reality that um, institute attendance is just is down. I taught institute for um, uh, about three, like, yeah, I think three or four semesters, uh, a little, little like in the couple, between two years ago and a year ago. Uh-huh. And it was interesting, even in just that time from when I started that first semester that I taught, to the last semester that I taught, you could just visibly see like fewer and fewer people coming, even just in that course of year. And so I think I see this happening. And I think, you know, that one of the reasons why Elder Holland is making this appeal, I mean, and it's an important one. I do believe that Institute can help you come closer to God. And I like that, that attitude. It's like, I'm not just taking a class. I'm, I'm attending a class that helps me out, you know? And so I, I believe in the Institute program. I think it's a great way to, uh, do the socialization that's important in the church where we, you know, spend time with fellow saints and learn from one another, but also, you know, it's a good opportunity to learn from people who are trained in this. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree with Ella Holden. I might not have said it in the same way, but I do believe that uh, the Institute program is important and we want oh, people forget there. what Elder Holland said. Look at Sydney Walker's first lines when she says from newcastle to nova sabirsk from copenhagen to cape town she is she is loving her, her parallel little alliteration right there folks that is why you read this good job sydney walker tell me more about you how are you doing <laughs> it's going the devotional will be online for 30 days i don't know why they'd let it expire but it's only online for 30 days it's like one of hbo max's simultaneous releases um 
in pretty much most languages of Europe would be the way to look at it. Curiously because in 30 not, days, we'll have a new and fresh appeal to attend. Institute. I guess. But uh, curiously, I don't see Catalan um, listed there. But also not Portuguese or, or Spanish, actually, for that matter. They're not hitting everybody. It's different parts of Europe. But Slovenian, yo, greatest country. Greatest country. I definitely want to visit Slovenia. It's on my list. Everyone should visit Slovenia. It's so it's spectacular. I have been to Slovenia. I went there after I spent my summer in Ukraine in 2006. And I bumped around Central Europe a little bit. But I spent more time in Slovenia than any. I spent like three or four days there. Um, Just rented an apartment, got a car, hung out. It's an amazing country. There's an episode of Chef's Table, you know, that show on Netflix. um, Yes. That that centers on a Slovenian chef. And I I remember watching it and being very very interested in the chef and the, the food. But I was also just stunned every time they showed anything outside, whether it was buildings or the mountains or anything. I was just like, this looks like a place where I want to go. So... Have you seen that other show on uh, Hulu with uh, Padma Lakshmi? Her, her, uh, no, I saw an advertisement for it, but I haven't, I haven't watched it yet. Her food show? You'd probably dig it. It's a good show. Yeah. I enjoyed it. It has it has its own political bent, but I think it's pretty well done. Even though Padma is very just like, ha, ha, ha. That's just her delivery. And you just have to it is. It. She yeah. sounds like incredibly snobby the entire time, even though I don't think she is. It's just, it's hard to, I adjusted to the voice. Just like, yeah. It was great. What did she host before? Was it Top Chef? Was it-, it was Top Chef, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it was good. All right, a couple things here as we're running long. So, baptistries are reopening in a way. They've adjusted the old phase schedule. We've been on the whole, you know, phase one, phase two, phase three. No one's in phase four. Four temples, everybody. Uh, phase three is when a temple reopens to do proxy work across the board. It's still limited capacity and reservations, and there are definite, there are there are certain concerns and different things you have to do. So it's not just like totally normal. Very few temples are in phase three. We started easing into that in December, but now the church has announced that, come on, Jared. (laughs) Sorry. Don't do that, man. I had an alarm and I didn't uh, disable it. So, uh, it's, they call this phase two B, which to me sounds like a, just like a room or something where you're supposed to learn. But they're going to open the baptistries for small groups. And President Nelson announced it on social media. And that's great. He just said, like you can imagine, it's been very hard to close our temples. And we're just grateful to announce this new phase where obviously there are still restrictions. There are still safety protocols, all sorts of things in place. But we will open up the baptistries once more for small groups in a handful of temples. I'm looking at the list. I'd say this is about, what, 14 temples maybe or so. Um, what? You got Paraguay, Bern, Switzerland, Calgary, Copenhagen, Cordoba, Argentina, Edmonton, Frankfurt, Guayaquil, Kansas City, Manila, Medford, Oregon, Portland, Oregon, Seattle, Washington, and the Twin Falls, Idaho Temple. So, Jared, if you want to get your baptism on, you can just go follow that old freeway along the Snake River and uh, yeah, go to Twin Falls. What is that, the 84? What freeway is it? Uh, 18? I can't remember. I don't know. You I'm live like. in Idaho. Yeah. Come well, I think 84 goes from Salt Lake up to Boise, so I, I would have to hop on a different highway to connect. Well, it's not the, isn't that the one? Well, once you go down, now I'm, gonna, I'm getting on Google Maps. This is the important thing for our listeners to understand. There's a different western highway that I do that connects to the 84 and then takes me west. Oh, there's the 86. There you go. You take the 15 to Pocatello, 86 cuts across, then you get on the 84. I have to go down to Pocatello to get over to Twin Falls? That doesn't seem right. That's the right. most. That's that's the straight shot, man. That's what you right. do. Boise is the one that doesn't make sense. You're right. If I go straight west, I hit it mountains. So 
Okay. Yeah, I mean Boise is basically at the same latitude you're at, but you have to hoop down. Yeah, you have to go along yeah, the river. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like a five. It's like a three-hour drive to Salt Lake. It's a five-hour drive to Boise. It's it's not Idaho's convenient. dumb. They should break <laughs> it up. Real quick, I, one thing that I thought was really interesting about this announcement is, you know, and especially as I looked and then saw, you know, how they laid out the different phases. Like they're opening small group baptisms, and it's not just families. You know, they said it could be youth groups and things like that. They're opening, you know, and this isn't. Live ordinances, obviously, baptisms are in temple are only for the dead. Uh, so I'm curious why a small group doing baptisms, why that was considered safer and able to be re- you know restored um, sooner than like a small endowment session. I, I don't. I mean, I guess especially yeah, because the baptisms are more they're you're they're you're more physically proximate, right? Like by yeah, half, yeah. You're, I mean, you're half, standing right next to each other, hands on. It's a hands on, face to face ordinance and um so yeah i just thought that was interesting that they considered that like something that could be done sooner I mean, i'm sure again i'm sure they looked into all the logistics of it and consulted with experts and found it to be okay but i don't know i just thought that was a interesting turn of events and i didn't see that I one agree. coming i agree jared i agree go ahead tell us about your your horror so I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I do. Many of our well, I don't. I mean, yeah, I think we need to spend a balanced amount of time on this. But uh, <laughs> many of our listeners may be aware of the uh, group on social medias that is that identifies as the Deseret Nation. Desnet's not a group; it's an ideology, like Antifa. Okay. Okay. That, that, no, that is a good point. It's not a group, but it is. There are people who identify with a hashtag, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, called Desnat or Deseret Nation, and the and to to you know to to say what they 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 say they stand for. They say they stand for standing up for the prophet and standing for the true religion of the gospel of Jesus Christ as restored in the Church of Jesus Christ Latter Day Saints. That's not like a direct quote, but that's what they would say. I, I'm I'm part of Desnat because I believe in supporting the prophet and in you know the restored gospel of Jesus Christ, and they believe that they are defenders of the faith in in some way. But a lot of people who have had run-ins with Desnet online who maybe may come across as more progressive Latter-day Saints or liberal or however you want to say it, like or just any kind of attitude that kind of runs counter to what a lot of these ideologues believe have found them to be quite contentious. And there was a, recently a Twitter user at Haram Bevan H-A-R-A-M-B-E-V-A-N, if you want to find it, because I don't think we should link to this. But he said that he used to be active on a Desnat Discord server. And Discord, if you're not familiar with it, is just a basically a it's like Slack in a way. It's just it's a way to communicate and create chat rooms, etc. So Desnat had a Discord, at least one Discord server. Uh, and this guy said he was part of it for several months in 2018 and 2019. And he took screen caps of a lot of the chats and messages that were being sent back and forth. And, and he, cre- he put up a 18 tweet thread um, and 17 or, or so of those tweets have, you know, you could do a maximum of four images in a tweet and he put four images per tweet for about 16 or 17 of these. So there are dozens and dozens of these screenshots showing messages um, that he selected, you know, to, to be fair, he, these aren't everything that was going on in this Desnet server or does not chat. Um, but 
they're horrific. And, and, he, and in his tweet, in the initial tweet where he introduced these screenshots, he said, content warning, violence, rape, racism, misogyny, ableism, transphobia, homophobia, and slurs. And that is just like, I mean, that's just putting it nicely. There's some really gross, horrible, racial, uh, misogynistic, homophobic, etc. Very violent language going on in here. And it's like, this is not thoughts or words befitting anyone who claims to be a disciple of Jesus Christ or a member of Christ's restored gospel or a supporter of our prophet. And, uh, and I know, and it, it, this is where people will come forward and say, well, well, not all Desnat is like this. And that's probably true. I'm sure that's true. But I think if I were to find that a ideology that I subscribe to a hashtag that I identified with was full of, a lot of people like this, I think I'd do my best to just distance myself from that and find a new hashtag to express yeah. my support of the prophet, et cetera. I mean, it's just really disturbing stuff. And it's hard to believe that anyone like Latter-day Saint or not, just anyone in modern society would feel good about expressing some of the really gross things that they say in this thread. My One of my favorite ones I just happened upon, I'm skeptical on the true existence of lesbians. Yeah, no, and that's Thank like that's the tame. That's tame. Um, and Thank even, you, brother German. Right. I mean, yeah, I don't even want to use like it's. Just, it doesn't bear, especially on a show like this. I just don't even want to say like ninety percent of well, the words. I'll embed the. Yeah, we'll link yeah. to the thread so you because can it's just gross, website, so you um, and they're just really terrible, evil things and ideas being shared, and so it's like again, like. I'm sure a lot of Desnet people are really do see themselves as defenders of the faith and of supporters of the prophet and et cetera. But like, I don't know, maybe, maybe you would do well to distance yourself from, from people who have thoughts and, and words like this, that they're not afraid of sharing online. So can I read one other one? That's really exciting. <laughs> sure. Jeff, it's your show. The Manhattan temple was an F you to the Jews in white plains who wouldn't let it happen. Oh, that was, and that's, that's towards the beginning of the thread. And I remember reading that, that and being like, good. oh my gosh, that's terrible. But it just gets worse from there. So mm-hmm. lots of anti-Semitic uh, words throughout. And, and I just ideas. don't understand how you get wrapped up in that in the first place. Like anti-Semitic mindsets are fascinating to me because I don't get it. Like how do you get wired where you just think you just like need to blame Jewish people for stuff? I mean, it's connected to the larger Why? question of like, how do, how do people still get sucked into these weird and baseless conspiracy theories and anti-Semitism, at least in Western thought and, and, you know, you know, philosophy, I guess is one of the oldest conspiracy theories that that's yeah. stuck around for a long time. So I guess if you're susceptible to being taken in by ideas like QAnon you're also susceptible to being taken in by ideas like anti-Semitic, you know, the other, what is that pamphlet that used to go around the, whatever of the elders of Zion, like that stuff is like, if you're, if you're going to be taken in by one conspiracy theory, why not be taken in by any conspiracy theory? Yeah. So I don't know. It's it's just bizarre to me. I just can't understand. But, and it's but speaking of, it makes my heart. Speaking hurt. of, and speaking of Q, uh, by the way, of course, in case none of you were aware, uh, the Biden presidency was supposed to end a few weeks ago and it didn't happen. I haven't heard much about that when the idea was constitutionally, the date of the inauguration changed at one point from March into January. 
And so they argue essentially that all the presidency is illegitimate and Donald Trump was going to like come into Washington on that date and just retake the presidency. It did not happen. Maybe the surprise and twist so- is that Joe Biden is actually Q and he's just a sleeper agent. <laughs> Joe Biden is the, Q. Yeah, he's a he's sleeper agent one. that infiltrated the Democratic Party decades ago and he's bringing about the revolution. He is the Manchurian candidate, everybody. That That's is right. what's going on here. All right. So we're going to leave you here with with a bit of a just I just want some discussion. I've seen this going around social media and I just want to know if Jared's take, heck, your take though. You can comment, listeners, on this, at least in the US. Stimulus checks, we are poised to get them now that the, uh, the relief bill was signed into law last week. They'll show up whenever they show up in whatever cap- quantity and you know capacity for in different ways for all of us. My main question is, should you pay tithing on a stimulus check? And I think, I know a lot of things with tithing. We can debate gross and net. And I think there are personal decisions to be made on all of those fronts. Do you, would you pay tithing on unemployment income, for example? Is that something you pay tithing on, even though you've presumably paid some tax to support it. You can see a lot of arguments. So I'm curious, should you pay tithing on a stimulus check? It is an increase. It is absolutely an increase. But that's not what the scripture says. It says to pay 10% on your interest. It doesn't say increase. Well, if that's the case, I should only be paying 10% on like my savings account interest. And my I'm just saying that's what the doctrine and covenant says. So where do you follow this, Jared? Are you going to be uh, going to be whipping up a little bit of uh, two hundred and eighty bucks there <laughs> for you? And, from you <laughs> so and I mean, I think it all. It, this is a more complicated question than just like should you or should you not. So so people, like you said, there's you know people who feel differently about paying on uh, tithing on their net earnings versus their gross. If you pay on gross earnings, uh, this the this, these stimulus checks are technically tax credits. They're basically like you're getting a bigger tax refund than you would have and you're getting it on a time other than when you filed your tax mm-hmm. return. So if you paid gross, technically you've already paid tithing on this stimulus check. So I, to me, the answer is clearly no if you're a gross tithing payer. If you are a net tithing payer, I think it gets more complicated because it's like, how do you calculate how much of this particular amount of money you've already tithed? So, but then the larger question then too is just like, I saw somebody who was like preaching on Twitter, like, don't pay tithing on your stimulus check and here's why and blah, blah, blah. And they were giving all these reasons. And my response to that was, or do what you want with your money. And so if you want to pay tithing, on, if you want to tithe this and give it to the church, please do. If you want to give it to the church's humanitarian aid fund or the fast offering fund or the missionary fund, do whatever you want. It's your money. The government is saying, here, we know this has been a hard year and some of you need this. And also local businesses need this or whatever. Like, But the, really, when it comes down to it, once that money is in your account, you can do whatever the heck you want with it. So if you want to tithe it, if that's what feels right to you, tithe it. If you want to do, if you just want to buy $2,800 worth of pizza, do that too. No, everyone, do a line item. Donate it to the Preserve the Murals Fund. That's what, as we... That's true. That's Although it does say on that tithing slip, the church reserves the right to do anything they want with that money once you've donated to them. So you can like, you know, say this is for fast offerings, but they might say, eh, missionary fund. I'm with you, Jared, but I will say, I think the only reason some people might be more hung up on it is unlike any of these other donations, a t- properly paying tithing is a factor on having a temple recommend. So there's people might be a little more concerned because they don't want to. I know, but, it, I, but, but when you but sit down still. with your bishop and he says, does this represent a full tithe? And you say yes or no. He doesn't say, all right, let's pull out the books and see how you calculated it. Like, Wouldn't that be hilarious if, 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 
if it was an audit, if, it, if the tithing settlement was an actual audit of your finances. No, but that's the thing. And I, and I, I, no, mean, I do believe that. 10% means 10%, but, the, but we do also acknowledge that there's a gray area between net and gross and things like that. And so I think if you feel that you can honestly say I've paid a full tithe, like your bishop has nothing to say to counter that, you know, so... You know, I agree. You know, it's, it is a temple recommend question. It is a law we believe that has existed since Old Testament times. Um, exactly. But how we fulfill that law is largely left to us and to work that out between us and the Lord. And if you ask your bishop, well, I don't know, should I be paying net or should I be paying gross? If he's a good bishop, he'll say, you figure that out, you know? And so if he's a bad bishop, he will want to audit you. In every way, your money. He's going to ask to see your web, your browsing history, um, your social media activity. The He'll whole be looking at your four hundred one k and being like, "We haven't calculated that as far as your tithing goes." Like, so you know. And of course, they got to see how stable you are in case you're going to be called to a leadership calling. You can't be like a renter. I mean, come on, those people. Come on. Yeah, those lowly uh, renters. We were halfway. We one of our bishopric counselors is moving, and so they called a new one on Sunday, and so. And I did not know. I'm the executive secretary, but our bishop, he played it close. Like, he didn't tell any of us about what it was going to be. So, of course, I was wondering, like, who's going to be called. It wasn't me. Uh-huh. And, uh, Jared, you've already been there. You know what it's like to be part of the fun club. You know. But, um, oh, anyways, we were just joking about that. Because I have seen they, you know, they. I don't think it's, like, necessarily for counselors. But when vetting bishops, they wonder if they own their home versus whether they rent their home they wonder about a lot of things like i know that, they do look for financial stability yeah. and things like that because i mean one of the issues that has come up is you know embezzlement of church funds things like that they want to make sure that you know it, it's kind of like how you know, when you're getting a security clearance they look into whether or not you have debts and whether you are a compulsive gambler and things like that because they want to make sure that you're trustworthy and, and not going to be tempted by bribes and things like that. And I'm sure a lot of that same logic applies to vetting leadership positions in the church that they want to make sure you're not going to be tempted by the opportunity to embezzle funds from the church or the, or the opportunity just to use your leadership in any kind of unrighteous dominion sort of way. So, yeah. And I think the other side of it is they also want to make sure that ideally as a bishop, you are gainfully employed. So the stress of, so financial stress doesn't weigh you down when you have enough on your plate. As and well, as and let me really quickly clarify so that Jeff doesn't zezer me. I don't think that renters are in any way, <laughs> like by their nature, untrustworthy. I'm just saying it makes sense to me as a general principle that the church would look at financial stability and things like that as yeah. a factor. Well, well, I mean, Jared, I, I mean, you were in a bishopric while be a renter. I think you're okay. It's true. It's true. And I, I am the gold standard. I am the bar by which all other leadership callings are measured. So if it was okay for me... It's okay for you, listener. See, you learned it here first, everybody. No, this is just weird sound. I don't know how this is working. It's I really hope people too loud. can hear it so they don't think I'm just like... I don't know, everybody. Well, this, I'm just going to end the show, and I hope you can hear me over this over this music. Can you hear me, Jared? Oh, I, I can hear you. It is. I can anyway, hear you everyone. to a funky beat. Thanks for listening to This Week in Mormons This Week. Please send us an email and do all those things that we say we want to do. Please follow us on social media. Please support us on Patreon. Please continue to be an awesome person. And we hope you have a great week doing so. Jared, thanks for being here, buddy. Oh, yeah. It's my pleasure. Let's Especially with... Piano. What's that? Oh, We got them both now. I don't think these go together. These don't go together, Jeff. Okay. All right, everybody. Well, on behalf of Jared, I'm Jeff. Have a great week. Be well, be holy, and be happy.
I think that's it.